Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Well, that's a bit more like it as the Calgary Flames pick up a victory last night over the Montreal Canadiens. Welcome to Hockey Central at noon, everyone. I'm Peter Klein. Logan Gordon is our producer today as we break down a 2-1 Calgary Flames win over the Montreal Canadiens. Coming up on the show today, we have Eric Francis Fridays. That is happening at about 12.30 today. Uh, we have time for your texts at 960-960. But let's break down last night's action with Peter Labardius. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. I thought we played a patient game and 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 pretty much a mistake-free game. There's probably six or seven uh, turnovers that we're going to have to get out of our system. But, uh, you know, to play play against a team that doesn't give up much and and be able to come away with the win is is uh hey we need we needed it we're six points behind them coming in the game there is the summary from the new old head coach of the calgary flames daryl setter gets a, a victory in his first game uh peter lapartius joining us now and uh once again a pretty good summary from the the flames coach a, a nice patient win on a night where they desperately needed that well, it's so true, Peter. And at the head of the list for me, a few things. The details defensively, excellent. And even the shots on goal and the amount of high-quality opportunities that they gave up, one of their best performances in any game in that particular respect. And a team that really was connected in all three areas of the ice. And I really thought in the second period – is when they truly got to their game. They dominated Montreal. I loved how they tracked last night. Um, They were simple. They were direct. They spent a lot of time in the offensive zone. They didn't always create a lot of high-end opportunities themselves. But for this team that's still trying to marry it all together, uh, you know, call it a blueprint, call it a certain type of standard of how you have to play the hockey game in key areas without the puck. That was a great place to begin. Although, you know, was it necessarily, you know, perfect? No, but you know, it, it is a process, but further to what Daryl has said, not what I've said, but what Daryl has said is, hasn't his message been, You know, it's not the system, it's the style. And what that means is playing your system the right way. And, you know, throughout their lineup, there was a lot of guys who played it the right way. Early in the game, they established quick, short shifts. They got people into the game. There didn't seem to be any negotiation about somebody turning 35 seconds into 50 Um, So there was, you know, on a very positive note, there was a lot to like. 
Mm-hmm. And for me, we kind of talked about like, uh, I guess I talk about like a checklist of what I'm looking for from this team. And we are progressing to the point where we're looking for perfect hockey for 60 minutes. And the, the thing that I'm looking for is just, again, that consistent effort, being aggressive on the forecheck for 60 minutes and just being difficult to play against for the whole game. And I would say check, check, check on all of those. I, I thought that for what I was looking to see from a, an effort standpoint, it was there for the entire hockey game. And I take that as a positive. Well, and I take it as a positive, too, because, you know, when you think about what the identity of Carol Sutter teams are, that is the template. Hard to play against. Um, you know, relentless. Hard for checking. Connected. Don't give you anything for free. The next phase, Peter, is who can do it in your group on a regular basis. That, Mm. to me, is the overriding theme. So let's think about last night. Let's even think about the last four games. If I said to you, Mr. Klein, who's been the most consistent Calgary Flame performer over the last three or four games? Who would come to mind? Ooh, a couple come to mind. Um, I've I, I have loved Derek Ryan's game over the the last like since he he has come back from injury. I, I think he's been spectacular. And Dylan Dubé, whatever funk he was in to start the season, uh, has certainly gone away because I I've liked him. So I I would pinpoint those two. Am I on the right track? You uh you know again whether my track is the right track or your track <laughs> is the right track, we are completely in agreement. And I want to begin with. Derek Ryan. So, Daryl Sutter, we discussed it this week, talked about one of the differences in coaching the modern-day NHL is how players arrive in the league, how quickly they arrive in the league, and he referred to it as special status. Derek Ryan, who, by the way, for me, was the best player in the game, either side, end of story, two assists, 14-plus minutes, killed a penalty, drove his line. Maybe one of the best games I've seen him play as a Calgary Flame. And since he came, when did he come back? Well, he came back at the most turbulent of times, to the point where, and again, reflecting on what has happened in the past is kind of pointless. It's about where we are, but we can't miss certain things. When this team was at its darkest and lowest, Who came in, weathered the storm, and fought his way through and still played at a high level? Derek Ryan. New coach comes in, expects maybe even a little more, and challenges your whole group to be consistent. Every shift. Do it the right way so I can trust you. Who led the way? Up front, Derek Ryan. Derek Ryan ever had any special status? Are you kidding? Four years at the University of Alberta, long tour of Europe, finds his way back into the North American game in Charlotte and Carolina, plays there, and at 34 years of age, doesn't have the world's greatest hockey body build skating but smart, competitive, composed, 
understands how to do it because of the consistency of his work. And as someone who has watched this guy going back to Spokane, and especially at the University of Alberta, that has been his standard. And he lives up to the standard. And he was terrific. And here is Derek Ryan on Daryl, his game last night, and the new coach's expectations through Derek Ryan's eyes. Yeah, Daryl's been pretty clear that he he has a lot of attention and focus on the centermen on the team. He asks a lot out of us, and uh, I think rightfully so. I think a lot of NHL games are dictated from the middle of the ice out, so I think it's important for us to um, you know, be making the right decisions, whether in the D zone, you're in the right spot, um, even more so throughout the neutral zone and, and at each blue line, uh, you know, the centermen are kind of the, the keystone there where we usually are carrying the puck and we have to make the right decision, whether it's a, a play to the outside or a play just to get it in deep and, and establish our four checks. So, um, yeah, like I said, he's made it clear that center centermen are really important and, um, I like it. Peter, the, the thing about, the evaluation of players, teams, but especially players and why, and again, we're not talking about, you know, a superstar, but what we are talking about and is the standard. And again, so, um, you know, to wrap up the Derek Ryan part of the story, and I think it's a big one, I really do, for a lot of different layers, is he learned it in Spokane. But then, where I think it really became a big deal, so for those who don't follow university hockey in this country, the Alberta Golden Bears, are they not one of the true gold standards? They are. And that is, you know, I've I've watched that program my whole life. And... They have a standard there, and they're always competing and winning a lot national championships. So when you are in that mindset, and there is that expectation, and yes, it's not the NHL, when you learn the right way, and you don't... This guy isn't at special status for one second. So, you know, he's been an excellent player since he came off that fractured finger. You know, consistent performer that's what we know him for and yet what is the thing about this group that we've questioned more than anything the other side inconsistency so mm-hmm. you know great story last night great story on josh levo i don't want to sell him short you know a guy who has three goals in his last three games Derek ryan you know and that line sam bennett they all played exceptionally well there they were on the ice scored both the goals on the ice in the last shift to bring it home. Pretty special effort from that group. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And you can see that trust that they have as they're out there to, to wrap that game up. Uh, as we chat with Peter Labardius, our Flames insider, here on Hockey Central at noon, um, the, the opposite end of the, the spectrum, I guess, as, uh, again, I thought a, a pretty complete performance from the Flames, but you're not going to get a complete read on a team when you're playing another team that's on a back-to-back in their second time zone in two days, and they started the game at nine freaking o'clock the night before. So uh, I think there is still a bit of a, a work-in-progress aspect of this conversation from a Flames perspective, Lou. 
yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not as much on that train, to be honest, Peter. Uh, I think sometimes okay. we we can be a little e- like again. Does it matter? Yes. Is it ideal? No. Um, do I think it was a factor? Yes. But um, I did see a Montreal Canadiens team when they got to their game a little bit in the third period who seemed to have more energy. Would you agree with that than in the first two? Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. So if you if you can and I'm not like understand me when I say that I'm not saying that I don't think that's a factor. It was a factor. Mm. I just don't think that you can completely put all your eggs in one basket. You know, I would have felt even more that that was a factor if Montreal didn't find their game and push back and find some energy in the third. I just didn't think they had it from the get-go and the Flames to their credit deserved a lot of just that credit for it so the next step is and it as much as it relates to the ryan line again hearing from the new head coach we heard how it started right what his thoughts were but here's Mm -hmm. the most one of two really interesting answers in the clip and and i want i want your reaction on both so here was daryl last night on the play of Derek Ryan and his line. Don't focus on the first part, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Focus on the back part. We need four good lines, and, and it could be that they, they were very good, but it could be there was there was another line that we couldn't put out there. So when you heard that... yeah. And I've, and I've, again, when you're in the heat of the moment, even after the game, in the post-game show, um, you know, it, it's, it, we can always quickly deflect to certain places. Um, so as much as, you know, whether, you know, at first you're going, because they didn't really generate a whole lot, I didn't think last night, you could go to the Monaghan group. Um, you know, you go back and watch the game, you know, the last 10 minutes of the game. Well, you know, the Lindholm line and Matthew Kachuk. But, you know, what I think it was all about is twofold for me. It's, it's fabulous. You need all four lines, 60 and a goalie. That, that's how this team, Peter, has to win. I, I believe that now more than ever because I don't think they have some of the true game breakers that other teams in this division have. So it needs to be done the right way and collectively and as a group. But, you know, I truly believe one of the mandates of Daryl Sutter is that every guy has to be at his optimal best for this team to make the playoffs. And that's the standard the group is looking at. To set, So I, I think it was as much as, and I'm sure, you know, probably in hindsight could have been more about one player, one or two players who, you know, he, he couldn't trust key guys at the biggest moment. That's not a good thing, right? That's, yeah. that's, that's not a good thing. And, and, and so, you know, I'm not trying to paint this with a bad brush, but I don't think we can overlook the fact that, you know, this team is truly going to get where it needs to, to go or where it wants to go. And it's all part of the process is I don't, I don't want to be in the situation 
And I don't think you're going to win a lot of games if the script plays out completely the way it did last night. You know, I, I think, again, some of the key people on this hockey team are very much, you know, they have to be better. And I don't mm-hmm. think we can lose sight of that. And I know the head coach hasn't lost sight of that because you heard him off the top, you heard him in the middle, and before we get to the mailbag, let's hear, to me, another clip from Daryl about, okay, that was nice, but what is it really all about when the 60 minutes were all said and done? The big, the big thing is, is, is this division, you have to play at a pace and you have to check. And that comes into your attrition and your ability to stay with it. And, and we have to work with our players to, to do that. So, um, you know, I'm not singling out anybody. I just know as a team that we're going to have to be a hell of a lot better. That's, uh, that's not a ringing endorsement. <laughs> nope. Um, another, uh, another, go oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say well, one other part of this that, that I think is interesting is that the question that brought this whole thing on, I believe was from Darren Haynes, and it wasn't, hey, who couldn't you trust tonight? It was kind of a reward for Ryan Levo and Bennett being out there to close the game. And it, like, that was a layup of a question. Just be like, yeah, they were awesome. And I really appreciate their game. But instead, and that was a, okay, we're not protecting anyone here anymore. And I'm not saying that they were protected before, but when there is a problem, we are going to address this. And while we're not going to say it by name, we are going to address this. Sorry, Peter, you were you were kind of cutting out, but I, I think I did hear enough about oh, the one word that associate. And listen, that's the thing. It's it's. I'm sorry. I'll repeat it over and over. Accountability, how you arrive at it, how you get there, and. You know, buying and selling, and that is and that is everything. You know, with great buy-in, you can sell. So, you know, the one thing that I wanted to kind of leave you with and our listeners with, and I'll do it quick because I know we probably got to run. But, you know, to me, what's been interesting to think about is John Tortorella, and and I'm not saying that, you know. John doesn't have a role to play in why certain players have left or the line A benching last night or any of that stuff, okay? So, but I, but I do think I know this. John has a standard. He believes in a certain standard, and he makes people accountable. And right now, he is on the hot seat of all hot seats. Now, does he have some responsibility to play in that? Absolutely, he does. And he'd tell you the same. But with Daryl Sutter, isn't there some commonality between those two guys and what they want and how how he makes people accountable and how it's about family with him and really not caring about what goes on on the outside? I don't know about you. But, but it's funny how things can be in the sense that, you know, I see a lot of commonality between those two guys. 
I think they've had great careers based on the standard and how they operate. And right now, as of today, you know, Carol and deserves every ounce of credit. I believe, I've always believed, I have, because of the standard. And guess what? Is, is it always fun to deal with? No, because if, if you don't bring your best, he's going to call you out. He is. Whether it's me, you, anybody who asks a question. And I just, I don't see those two guys as being overly different. I really don't. Uh, had some connection issues. Sorry about that. Um, but uh, I believe I am back now um, as we chat with Peter Labardius here on Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Uh, let's close out the week the way we always do. And let's take a look at Lou's Mailbag. Lou's Mailbag brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, where prime steak is broiled to perfection and served sizzling on a 500 degree plate, ensuring each bite is as hot and delicious as the last. You deserve this. You know the drill, sportsnet.ca slash 960. You go there, you ask a question. If we answer it, you get a $100 gift card to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Today, uh, we are reading Morgan's question, and Morgan asks, when Daryl Sutter was last in Calgary, he had more power as a general manager. For instance, he brought in Mika Kiprasov. This helped to bring change and something to rally around. In this time around, Daryl is only a coach and not the GM. How is Daryl going to create a band of revolutionaries to help turn the team around? Well, I don't think it's a great question. I don't think it's a band of revolutionaries that you need. Um, do I see some similar type pieces? Do I do I see Jacob Markstrom as being, you know, the next coming in some ways, albeit different than Mika Kiprasov? Sure. But the whole, it's, it's a great question today, Peter, because the whole segment has been about a standard. And I'll answer the question, and thanks, and you're going to have an awesome meal and a great experience with our friends at Bruce Chris. Um, Tim and company will look after you. Unbelie- Again, talking about the standard. But when Daryl Sutter, and I'll let him answer the question, he was asked yesterday, by a member of the Montreal Canadiens media. They asked him, does he have to coach any different now than he used to before? And his answer was, no, I don't. In fact, because I'm older, even more experienced, gone through a number of things, I think I'm even going to be better. He believes that. A lot of people believe that. I believe that. So is it about players? Yeah, it's about players. Players win games. But it's about the standards. And he's always been about a standard. So there you go. That is Lou's Mailbag. Congratulations once again, Morgan, on a $100 gift card to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse and uh, that another edition of Lou's Mailbag. Lou's Mailbag, brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Treat yourself to the primetime menu and indulge in two courses, including the mouth-watering petite filet for just $49. This is how game day is done. Lou, another important game day coming up on Saturday as the Flames and Habs meet again a lot on the line, as will be for the rest of the year. Uh, looking forward to it and looking forward to chatting with you on Monday. Thank you. Guys. Yeah, just 29 more of them to go of the very <laughs> yeah. important nature.
Thanks, yeah, Peter. Yeah, Have an awesome weekend. You as well. Thanks, Lou. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Guests on Sportsnet 960 Defend, join us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, now open for limited dine-in service with all safety precautions in place. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza, pasta, steaks, and ribs since 1975 at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. We continue on with the Flames conversation with Eric Francis. He was in that media availability last night. We'll get his take on who Daryl might have been talking about in regards to the can't necessarily trust them at the end of the game. That as Hockey Central rolls on next. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. One down, several more to go after a Calgary Flames victory last night over the Montreal Canadiens in Daryl Sutter's return to the uh, Calgary Flames bench. For more analysis on this, it is now time for Eric Francis Fridays, brought to you by Hyde Infinity. Save up to 15 grand on a 2020 Q50 executive demo during the 2020 clearout event, Hyde Infinity, Heritage Meadows Road on Luxury Lane. Mr. Francis, how are you today, sir? Man, I couldn't be better. I decided to play hooky today. I'm out at uh, Lake Louise Ski Resort, and the conditions are beautiful. Man, do we have an unbelievable city where this is in our backyard. So, yeah, thanks for asking. I'm good. Life is good. Yes, uh, and it just made a, a lot of people jealous of the circumstances, as that sounds like a, an absolute perfect day. Uh, if you're into the skiing thing, I tend to just fall. Um, from the uh, the Flames' <laughs> perspective last night, um, that was that was better. Um, your initial reaction to, to Game One of uh, Version Two of the Daryl Sutter era? Well, it was it was quite the throwback, right? It was Throwback Thursday and the, the blasty uniforms that had been planned long ago, but it was just perfect that. All that kind of welcomed Daryl Sutter back. And, you know, uh, I thought it was so fitting that the style of play that it, it appears that he's going to employ is, is really, a, you know, quite the throwback to the way he coached 17 years ago when they went to the cup final, you know. I'm not sure it's going to be all that entertaining, but winning is entertaining at the end of the day for people. And, uh, you know, it made me think back to, and I, I wrote this in my column, like it made me think back to a quote from Billy Neiman and, and uh, people who were part of that 04 run remember him, the villain, the Joker, so well. He's just a quote machine. And after one of the series, somebody asked him about the keys to their success or to describe their game. And he said, we play hospital hockey, lots of patience. And I just thought it was the perfect, the perfect uh, memory uh, because that's what it was about last night, you know, applauding methodical defense, you know, keeping them to the outside um, and very calculated. And, and then offensively, it was just tenacious forecheck. And uh, those that seems to be the, the elixir that he's going to go with. It worked in 04. It worked with L.A. And uh, he's convinced I think it can work now. And, uh, you know, we'll, only time will tell, but. What a great start. What a great debut for Sutter and the Flames. And, you know, because I think everyone's worried about growing pains. Um, and, and there will be some, I'm sure. But uh, they really needed that win last night at the end of the day. That's kind of the most important thing. Yeah. 
Uh, you talked about places that it worked. It certainly worked for uh, Derek Ryan, Josh Levo, and Sam Bennett last night, as that was the, the most effective line for the Calgary Flames. And some trust shown in them late in the game as they're out there to, to put a bow on that game. But um, if that's what you're going to get out of your fourth line in the, the Daryl Sutter era, uh, sign me up for that. Well, you know, I don't know if people realize this. Like, the Calgary Flames had the worst fourth line in the league this year. Um, the other night, on Sunday night, or was it was Sunday, Saturday. Anyway, last night, those two goals that Levo scored, those are the fourth and fifth goals that the fourth line have scored this year. There's no team in the league that has the worst fourth line in terms of offensive output. Now, granted, a lot of fourth lines you don't measure their success in offensive stats, but it's pretty pathetic when not only are you not great at defending, you're also not scoring any goals. So I'm not suggesting we're going to see Josh Levo score many more goals at all this year. And I'm not even suggesting Levo will be in the lineup with regularity. But the fact that that trio really took control and his love for Derek Ryan, I think that's going to be a love affair that we're going to be watching. Uh, might even extend his career here after this year. Who knows um, for Derek Ryan. I just, you know, Sam Bennett, we all know that he's going to have, give him every chance to be successful. Uh, surprised last night to see Sam Bennett on the penalty kill. Matter of fact, there were some other... Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan both played 13 seconds of a penalty kill. And I know it was just probably to get them out for the next shift, but I don't ever remember seeing them on a penalty kill. And Milan Lucic spent some time on a penalty kill, for better or worse. So he's trying some little things differently. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, we'll see how they work. But last night it worked really well. Like Montreal did not have many scoring chances at all. I think it was 18 saves Markstrom had to make. And you tell me, like, if two or three of them were high-danger chances, I'd be pretty surprised. So, really good effort from this team all along, and, and led by the grunts, and that's the way Sutter like. Uh, he did have uh, an interesting note in the press conference post-game that uh, when kind of asked about Levo, Ryan, and Bennett and the trust he showed in that, that, those final moments, he took that as an opportunity to say there were some he didn't trust in those final moments. And he wouldn't uh, uh, say them by name, but that certainly got people going. Who, who do you think he was referring to? Yeah, you know what? I pressed him on that. I came right back onto the call and said, no, no, Daryl, you got to – who are you talking about? And he wouldn't go there. But uh... – I don't know. I want to say it was Gaudreau Monahan because I think that's who we all are probably thinking it, it was. But I thought Brett Ritchie was one of the better players in the game last night. So, and maybe that says it all that Brett Ritchie was probably the best of the three players on that line uh, last night. But you know, that's also just a way for Daryl to push buttons, right? Going publicly by saying, uh, you know, at least one of the lines is really bad. So every guy in that room will read that and hear about that and wonder. Is he talking about our line? I'm pretty sure the line that he's talking about knows exactly who they are. Um, I can't imagine it would be Backlund's line because Backlund just plays so solid defensively, and he, he loves Mangiapane. Who wouldn't? Mangiapane was great last night. And, and, and it also couldn't have been – I mean, I guess it could have been the top line of Kachuk, uh, Dubé, and uh, Lindholm, but I, I'd have a hard time believing that. So it's one of those two lines. It couldn't be the Backlund line. Anyway – an interesting guessing game, and we'll keep looking for clues along the way. He loves to speak in riddles and uh, little, just throw little things every once in a while that make you go, hey, wait a second, we need to flesh this out a little more. Uh, so that, that's something to keep an eye on. 
Uh, a couple more here with Eric Francis on Eric Francis Fridays on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Uh, you, you mentioned it in your uh, kind of recap of the game on, on sportsnet.ca, and it got a lot of attention on social media as well. Uh, not much of a question here, but holy crap, that fight between Josh Anderson and Milan Lucic. Like, I, I think I got hurt watching that. <laughs> well put. You know, I didn't see what immediately led up to it, but I just know that that's Milan Lucic saying, you know what, I mean, Milan Lucic doesn't fight much anymore, A, because nobody wants to fight him, and B, I don't think he really wants to fight. And But the fact that in his first game, you know, he knows he's being counted on by Sutter. Sutter's been naming him, Giordano, and Bachman as three guys who he's going to be counting on to be his leadership group because he has familiarity with all three of them. Those are his three connections to this team. So that was just a leadership move. I thought Lucic played phenomenally well last night for, for his skill set and what they're going to ask of him. And uh, that fight just said it all. That was like a punctuation mark, you know, in the third period of a game that it didn't require a fight. Uh, but I, I thought that it was great that he, he gave one. I mean, I think he did well. I, I guess he got – I mean, you tell me. He got the edge, I think. Um, mm-hmm. It was just – you know, hats off to Josh Anderson. And, you know, I can tell you that this general manager has been pursuing Josh Anderson for several years. He absolutely loves everything about Josh Anderson. And I think you just saw exactly why. His team needed a spark. Um, and he held his own against one of the toughest guys, if not the toughest guy in the league. So hats off yeah. to both guys. That was thoroughly entertaining and just a really interesting part of this. And it also helped set the table for Saturday night's game. Yeah, going to be, uh, we'll see if we get round two. If I was uh, Anderson, I probably wouldn't want to, but uh, to each their own, I suppose. Uh-huh. Eric, thank you for this. As always, uh, go enjoy the, the lovely weather and the, the scenery that this province provides. Thanks, my man. And, you know, I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but I just think it was so wonderful that Daryl took the chance last night to kind of dedicate that, that win to Ken King because yesterday was the, the anniversary of his death. And uh, I'm not sure Ken's got to do because there are no funerals or celebrations of life. You know, he, got, he gave him some due. Ken King was the reason why Daryl Sutter became a flame in 02. And, of course, celebrating his mom's 85th was really cool, too, because all the other brothers were in Vikings celebrating with her. He would have loved to have been there, but we all know Daryl. There's no place he would rather be than behind a bench. So that was kind of a nice bowl uh, to wrap up the evening. Yes, absolutely. Very well said. Thank you for getting that in. Uh, Eric, enjoy the weekend. We'll chat next week. You too. It's CK. See you, PK. There is Eric Francis here on Eric Francis Fridays, brought to you by Hyatt Infinity. Save up to 24 grand on a 2020 QX80X demo during the 2020 Clear Out event, Hyatt Infinity, Heritage Meadows Road on Luxury Lane. So the coach in the spotlight here in the city of Calgary, also in Columbus. Again, how long is this going to keep happening? We will discuss next here on Hockey Central at Noon. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Well, it's certainly never boring with the Columbus Blue Jackets this season, is it? Welcome back to Hockey Central at noon, everyone. I'm Peter Klein. He is Logan Gordon. So, last night, the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, get out to a rather impressive 4-1 lead over a very good team 
in the Florida Panthers. Uh, Florida would then rattle off three goals in just under eight minutes, started by Ryan Lomberg, uh, who normally starts those things, of course, and then ends in overtime with Frank Vetrano scoring as Florida comes from four down in the third, or from three down, sorry, in the third period to pick up a 5-4 win. Um, it was noted that Patrick Line didn't necessarily participate in a whole lot of that comeback as he was uh, stapled to the bench for the last seven minutes of that game as Columbus looking for a spark and looking to stop the bleeding, uh, give Patrick line a 14 minutes of total ice time logo. A lot of talk about uh, coaches saying they can't trust players in this market. John Tortorella showed he doesn't think he can trust Patrick line out in Columbus. It, it just keeps getting weirder and weirder with this blue jackets team. And it really does kind of feel like it's going to come to, to some kind of crescendo at some point out there. Doesn't it? Yeah, I think sooner or later you're going to find out just enough's enough from, you know, uh, a John Tortorella perspective. I have a lot of respect for the guy. I think he's a, a good coach, but I think right now we're – and I think it's it's funny because Lou brought up the comparison between Sutter and Tortorella. I think the one thing that we've talked a lot about with Sutter coming in here is his communication and that you always know where you stand and all of those sort of things I think are very important – you hear Patrick Line post game, you know, he clearly doesn't know where he stands or what he needs to be doing. Part of the reason they got that lead was he scored on the power play early on in the third. And then, yeah. you know, uh, he had an assist earlier on in the game. He was going. He wasn't. I didn't see the, the entire game, so I'm sure that Tortorella has his reasons, but he's clearly not doing much of a job when it comes to relating those reasons back to his players because. I'm sorry, even if Patrick Laine had a bad game, you have to let him know why. Like, he has to be clear mm -hmm. as to why he's had a bad game and why he wasn't playing in those situations. That's just really what it comes down to for any coach. And I think that when you start losing that sort of communication between player and coach, you're talking about a problem. Yeah, and uh, especially a, a player as important to the Blue Jackets as it would seem Patrick Laine is going to be. You have John Tortorella in, in the final year of his contract. I, I'm not going to go as far as, as some to say that he is just trying to coach his way out of Columbus because I, I don't think that's in the John Tortorella DNA, but it does kind of seem like he is kind of, ah, screw it, let's just see what happens with, with some of this stuff. Like th That is kind of my only explanation for, for all of this because it's just been so strange this whole season around the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah, I, I don't buy that narrative of that he's coaching his way out of there. Maybe he's gotten tired of it and he's, you know, maybe not doing all the things that have made him successful, but I don't, I don't yeah. think he's coaching to get his way out of town one way or the other. It, it just doesn't yeah, fit I think a, there's, a winner like that. I do think there is a bit of, well, if it doesn't work, I'm leaving anyway. Like, I, I do think there is some of that, right? Yeah, with there's something the, about writing the, on the wall in places. Yes. Right? If he sits there and he feels, look, I don't get any buy-in from this group. They aren't listening to me. He's not stupid. He's coached plenty of places and won Stanley Cups and been successful. Uh, and you don't get there by being an idiot. So if mm -hmm. he sits there and, and is understanding, look, this group's not getting it from me. They're not doing the things I ask of them. Uh, you know, I'm in the final year of my contract. Uh, he's smart enough to know when things aren't going his way. I don't think he's oblivious to any of that. 
No, for sure. Um, and on the, the, the results end of it, it, it's fading fast for Columbus as they are seven points out of a playoff spot, equal games played with Chicago, who hold that fourth and final playoff spot right now. Uh, they are a whole lot closer to Nashville, who we're going to talk about later today as sellers, than they are to the Chicago Blackhawks, who are currently in a playoff spot. I don't know what Columbus does trade deadline-wise. Uh, I don't know if they are going to necessarily be in a seller's market after going out and acquiring Patrick Laine um, earlier on in the season. Obviously, you're giving up a good player in that deal as well with, uh, with Dubois, but uh, yeah, it, it is... It's fading fast in Columbus, and Logo, if, if I were a betting man, I would say that the Stanley Cup playoffs this year will not include a team that's been kind of a plucky underdog in them the last couple. It's a tough spot, it, and everyone's going to point to that Line dubois trade as a a turning point, I think, or one way or the other, because uh, it was such a massive deal, and look, Line hasn't been perfect there, but I don't think he's he's far from the only problem, and... Look, like you mentioned, they're already in tough for uh, a playoff spot in the division there, you know, with Chicago coming up out of nowhere for a lot of teams and being uh, so far ahead of them already. But the the future for Columbus is interesting because, you know, a quick look at their cap friendly page will tell you this team hasn't committed to a lot going forward long term. We're talking guys that are up after this year or two years for a lot of guys, uh, or a couple mm-hmm. of years. You're talking Seth Jones, Zach Rorinsky, and don't forget that Patrick Line still has to be signed this offseason. And right. Yarmo Kekalainen, never afraid to make a big deal or something like that. I'm starting to wonder, and I don't know if you are too, Klein, that, you know, look, he's still an RFA. He's still got value. If he's not coming in there and being successful, do maybe the Blue Jackets think about trying to get some different assets for him in return? Because if it's just not going to work... I wouldn't be surprised to see Kekalainen and be the kind of guy that that moves on from that because they've had enough issues with guys not wanting to be there or moving on in their own terms that I think I could see him being the kind of GM that would make that move. Look, we're doing trade targets later on today, and I'd be lying if I didn't at least have a long pause on the, the Patrick Line name, wondering if that might be something that Columbus a- ends up doing. And obviously, fit with the Flames and all of that would be quite difficult. <laughs> I'm sure he'd love to hop across the border a couple of times this year. Um, but no, that that is interesting. And yeah, like to your point, the, <laughs> the long-term contracts they have there are weird. It's Oliver Bjorkstrand and Cam Atkinson. Atkinson's very good, but he's also 31 and locked up till he's 35 and Bjarkstrand is fine but I I don't know if that's kind of like the the cornerstone oh well you need to have that dude locked up uh 22 points in 28 games this season but 36 and 49 last year and 36 and 77 the year prior like it it is it's been such a strange time in Columbus and I, I think all the credit in the world to them for getting this thing kind of on track with so many star players leaving, but it does kind of feel like a, a big change could be coming with the, like a, like a reset or something. You know what I mean? It would be kind of a good time to, to maybe do that because you're going to be able to get some contracts off of your books. And uh, look, the whole fact of the matter, and you just brought it up is they've done a remarkable job, maybe better than anyone in the league at staying competitive and relevant when losing as much talent as they did. Look at what the Arizona Coyotes and the Buffalo Sabres have tried to do the last couple of years. And I, I say that because partly because they both went out and got Taylor Hall, 
But, you know, the Blue Jackets have gone out and made those kind of moves and eventually lost those players, but they've still found a way to be relevant and to be in these conversations. That's a very hard thing to do. But I just, I look at how this season's going. You talk about John Tortorella and his future probably feeling like it's not going to be in Columbus long term. I, I just wonder, uh, looking at the the big picture for this team, if we're not talking about them sort of restarting things and, and pulling a reset on this roster a bit and going forward with some young guys. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I, I do think that the time is now for that with the Blue Jackets. Uh, staying in the Central Division, last night the Dallas Stars fall 4-2 to the Chicago Blackhawks. Dallas now 12 points out of a playoff spot. They do have six games in hand, uh, but that math would suggest they need to win all of them, and they haven't been doing a whole lot of winning with just three wins in their last 10 games. This is a team that points percentage-wise is below 500, and like again, this has been a really messed up year for the, the Dallas Stars with the late start, and then you have the weather issues as well i do not think you need to blow up the dallas stars um but this is it certainly feels like another team whose playoff chances are are dwindling rather quickly well correct me if i'm wrong they had a pretty hot start to the year yes um all things considered after they got a later start uh because of some covid stuff now obviously it doesn't help when you're without tyler sagan and you're without ben bishop uh looks like radulov is on uh, IR for them too. The, it's it, the Stanley Cup hangover for a lot of teams uh, is real, especially in a different season like that. And there's a lot of built-in excuses um, for teams this year. But for Dallas, I just I just wonder if it wasn't you know one of those perfect storm situations during the playoffs where everything was going their way, and it's kind of a a, a hit back to reality a bit for them. Uh, I don't know how many people saw them as a Stanley Cup winning team or that sort of caliber team heading into the playoffs last year. I, I still like pieces of their team for sure. But, I mean, let's be honest, when you're bringing in guys like Pavelski and that sort of stuff, you're talking about, you know, win now moves. And when mm-hmm. you miss that window or if that was your window, things suddenly change an awful lot. And you're paying Jamie Ben almost $10 million. He's got 12 points on the year. You know, things like that are just not going to to get it done for this group. And they've got some of those veteran guys. Pavelski's pulling his weight, but, you know, you're talking about a, a Cogliano, Blake Como's at 35, uh, Andre Secker on the back end at 34. You know, I, I think you're right. And I think that you've talked about some of those pieces we saw in the offseason, or excuse me, in the bubble, uh, like Rupe Hints and uh, Joel Kiviranta, all those kind of guys could be the next wave. But I wonder if they're they got to get rid of some of those ones. That Ben contract doesn't look great right now. No, it doesn't. Uh, The problem with that Ben one is I don't know who's taking it, right? Like, A, he has a no-move clause. Nobody. Um, So that that is kind of one that you probably just have to, like, just – deal with it you know like uh, that that's going to be very difficult but you're right like i wonder if th- there is uh, another team because to the, the point that you brought up if they do a bit of a reset i think it's a very quick one with, with guy like garyanov's 23 hints 24 uh like all the guys you brought up um i, I think title andrea is going to be very very good um he's a, a prospect in their system High right now and then on 21. the blue line yeah, Heiskanen 21. Uh, Klingberg's 28, which catches me off guard reading that. Uh, but you have Lindell, who Good is Good number on him, though. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. So this is a team that if they went a different direction and tried to go with youth, I don't even know if they fall off that much. It's just a couple of tweaks. And Dallas is a team that I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt to because of how just absolutely bat crap crazy this entire season has been around there. So we'll see. But I do think that this is a team that this year probably isn't going to happen. They're going to be interesting at the deadline. Do you make uh, just a couple of those moves? Like, do you send out like a an Andrew Cogliano for a third or, or or a fourth or whatever it would be or something along those lines? Like, not a full blow the damn thing up move, but just a couple little tweak moves in the next year, you're going to get right back at it, uh, presumably with Tyler Sagan um, on your roster. So, yes, I, I think the Dallas Stars... Probably fading a little bit, as everyone is fading in the light of the the greatest team in the NHL. That, of course, the Minnesota Wild. I had to get that in. Um, so unnecessary. It, just remarkably unnecessary. Yeah, but no, it's it's funny that like some of the more interesting teams in the league this year, like Minnesota's getting buzzed. We've talked about Columbus about a thousand percent more than we have at any point this season. It's just it's funny that some of these teams that we've never talked about. It's like oh. Well, now they're interesting. This well, it's is like, yeah, we're going to start strange. talking about Florida soon. Yeah, like, we're, they're, absolutely. They're next on the line. We're going to have to start talking right. about the Panthers all of a sudden. Uh, yeah. We're going to have to have that conversation. And, yeah, you're right. It's And it's so weird because, God, how many times have we talked about Columbus and we're talking about, like, what, less than 30 games? Like the fifth totally. time we've had to bring this up? Yeah. And they're not even good. No, like, they're not. Is- this isn't like a a Florida situation where they 17, 5, and 4. Blue Jackets are below 500, but they're still interesting enough that we're talking about the Blue Jackets. Like I, I, You could have told me that we'd have a bunch of conversations about the Blue Jackets. I would have had a tough time believing that we would have had a bunch of conversations about a bad Blue Jackets team. But here we are. John Tortorella certainly makes teams noteworthy if nothing else. Uh, That's going to do it for Hockey Central at noon. I'm Peter Klein. He is Logan Gordon in the Iconic studio, powered by Iconic Electric and Controls, our fourth year partnering with Iconic. Proud to welcome them on board as the official Sportsnet 960 studio sponsor. Community, it's Iconic. Contact them today at IconicEC.ca. Observations from Daryl Sutter's first game with the Flames. An important win for the Calgary Flames as they beat the Montreal Canadiens. I don't know if it's one we can take a ton away from. We'll dive into that. Also, we'll have Corey Sarich in hour one of the big show. That's coming up next.